This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those frustrating moments with some well-known people. I'm Jim Daly, and joining me, as ever, it's that shining light of positivity on Twitter, which, let's face it, we all need at the moment. It's Giles Paley-Phillips. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Well, thank you for that introduction. That's well, it's very kind. true, and I was actually wondering, do you feel almost like a responsibility at the moment? Because things are they're not the best in the world in general. Do you feel like a bit of responsibility to think, oh, I need um, to actually kind of keep things positive? Because you do, that has become your brand. You're very good at it, well, and it clearly makes a difference. Firstly, I wouldn't like to perceive it as being a brand. Because it's it's an, it's what it's who, it's I who am. you are. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I don't want it to people to think that I'm kind of cu- curating this no, positive true. vibe. But it, brands can become something you are anyway, can't they? Yeah, I guess so. Okay, well, I guess maybe it's my modus operandi. Oh, I like that. To, That's uh, my much brand. Better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's lovely. Um, yeah, do you know, and I do get a lot of messages from people saying that, um, and it's and it always really humbles me, and it's very touching to receive messages from people saying that they. They've read one of my messages and, and it's sort of made their day better, mm. which is, you know, which I hope it does. I hope it does fill people with a bit more positivity. And yeah, and yeah we are going through some dark times. I mean, I guess uh, someone said the other day, there's always been dark times. And I guess, you know, that's very true. Yeah. But I think because of things like social media, we need to kind of amplify positivity a bit more. Yeah, agreed. Mm. Uh, well, you're doing a good job. Well, thank you. Honestly, it's, and, uh, it's, it's good. And I would say that. I'm your best friend. Yeah. Um, and it's been a tricky... I think it's a tricky time at the moment. I think... I know this week we've had a lot of stuff with high-profile actors coming out and <laughs> okay, saying... Okay, yeah, that's uh, where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. Saying... Which, by the time this goes out, probably will still be a thing. I yeah. Think. Saying fairly ridiculous things, um, if I'm being kind. And we all need to just... Think a little bit harder, I think, before we talk. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And I think that's actually a very guarded but right way of saying it. And I think just, yeah, just put a little bit more thought into what we're saying. And uh, I mean, I, I d- if I ever get to a point where I'm thinking something that I think will be... Now, I'm not saying that I'm like not going to say something because I don't think it, but I think... I, I will try and put a lot of thought into what I'm putting out in the world. And certainly if I'm told, if I'm ever told that I've put something that might be offensive or anything, that I would reflect on that and actually not double down. Yeah, well, I think there are a lot of people who don't think about what they say and they're they're doing it for the reaction and Mm. for for the attention. And actually when you tell them it's offensive, they probably, they don't double down, they double up. Yes. If that makes sense, that's not a phrase. Well, it turns out it can double your... 
followers on Twitter. Well, so there you go. Maybe that's a good well, one. anyway, look, we're a pod about positivity, and actually, our guest today is someone about positivity as yes, well. Yes, who, from you know, very um, horrible, really, uh, things that have happened to her, have created a very sort of positive response to it yeah and that comes up a lot on this podcast yeah yeah our our guest today is emily dean who's written a brilliant brilliant book um i recommend that everyone go and buy it called everybody died so i got a dog um and it's about her yeah she lost her parents and her sister in a very short space of time over 36 months um and she ended up buying a dog called Raymond, yeah, which is a brilliant name for a dog. Who joined us on the podcast? Who joined us on the pod? So cute, so great. Uh, Raymond is a Shih Tzu, yeah, which is one of my favourite names. For <laughs> it's the funniest name yeah, for yeah. dogs. Yeah, uh, and he looks like a little Wookie. I mean, that's what, and, <laughs> yeah. and that's Emily's description yeah. of him, not mine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's a little Chewbacca, and she does describe him being the Chewbacca to her Han Solo. <laughs> Which I think is a brilliant. That's lovely. Movie. Yeah, it's lovely. So yeah, so and 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 how much of an impact he's had on yeah. her and yeah. um, her journey through grief and loss. Yeah. Um, which has been a very had a very powerful impact on her life. Um, yeah. So we talked a lot about that yeah. on the podcast. Well, I should apologise as well. We we sort of I, I feel like we could. I'm hoping we might be able to do a part two with Emily because we had so much to talk about and it was brilliant. But I had to leave early to go and do a casting. Well, you were pot noodle, pot noodle so, yeah, uh, which I didn't get. Um, so let's just delve straight in and um, and then. Maybe at some point we'll get another another chance to chat with Emily because it was absolutely brilliant. This is Emily Dean on the Blank Podcast. I've said it so many times. I forward it to all the people I know who are smiles. I'm like, have you not seen this? <laughs> Even... Weirdly, you know, I know, I hate to fucking say this to you guys, you're like, yeah, yeah. Jonathan Ross is a good friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, he doesn't know anything about football. And I was saying, but they love Hamilton. <laughs> and I sent it to him and Jane and the kids, and I said, you've got to see this. Oh, my this God, amazing. It's, I know. That's amazing, know. yeah. <laughs> and they were saying, oh, my God, this is brilliant, because they understood the concept yeah, of yeah. it being funny that it was Lacazette. Yeah. I nearly won my Lacazette top today. <laughs> And then, yeah. Well, that video took me, that was the longest video it's taken me to make ever. It took me How three, did you three get, weeks. did you have to buy high backing singers and things to do the vocals? Well, my wife is a trained musical theatre actress. Oh, my God. So she helped me lay out. I know. But it took us weeks. Not to what do. you know, it is it? Ages. <laughs> it she's us. got a better voice than anyone I heard she's, of the episode. She's I know, incredible. And somehow it's made me look sound half decent as well because her, I've seen quite a lot of your videos, but I don't think I've ever seen this one. It's probably a couple Oh my years God, Jos, yeah. it's so good. Okay, I'm, I'm on it. Okay, I'm on it. When ready? we get one on the way home, yes. I'm watching this on YouTube. I'll send, yeah, I'll send it to you. It's I'll, yeah, man. Yeah. I'll send it to you. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but I prefer, I think doing um, musical theatre parodies is the way forward. So do I. Yeah. I think I've got so many ideas I want you to do. I mean, you don't need my help. Well, I've, the one I'm, I was thinking about doing is a song about Trent Alexander-Arnold yeah. to Rent, to the opening song from Rent. <laughs> Trent, 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 Trent. But the problem, uh, there's a lot of issues now with copyright. So I've got it's one bit, too. You know yeah. that 5,026. 5, we could do that with a goal like um, Lionel Messi's goal. But it's better when you're... I like the fact you're saying we now. <laughs> you're, like, you're incorporating yourself. <laughs> Look, I'm we're going to do it. And, and I'm going to be... Doing What's this my part? I've got a terrible <laughs> voice. All Doesn't I matter. Do so have I. It still works. Somehow. I can say I, I know a lot about Arsenal and I love Lacazette. But yeah. Are you an Arsenal supporter? Are you? Yeah. Are you? All my life, and it was weird because I've I came from a very non-football family. I mean, if you read my book, you'll know. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, yeah. That kind of a yeah. vibe there. It was more sort of Larkin for breakfast. So, but because we lived in Islington when we were moving around the world, one of the places we lived was in um, just sort of Theberton Street, just in yeah, Islington. Yeah. So, and I went to drama school called Anna Scherz, which was a kids' drama school near there. So I got very, um, and everyone was Arsenal. And I remember thinking, well, I've got Spurs or Arsenal. And Spurs seems a bit sort of corporate and men in suits. Mm. It's like people who own dry cleaning shops. And what period? They they probably weren't very good either. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And so, because I grew up in such a lefty household, I was Mm. like, I think I'd go Arsenal. And my dad approved because there were loads of black players coming up. But it was like, which is true, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just became obsessed and I used to go to games on my own, which is quite weird. Did really. you? Yeah. At what age? Quite young? Um, no, I think that was when I was a bit older because just because okay. of the confidence thing. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. But I definitely, um, 
there was a period in my life which was quite weird when I dr- was driving to away games on my own. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was later, but yeah. I think it's just that sense of being in a group because I always identify myself as an extrovert, but I think a lot of extroverts have that introversion thing as well. And I'm an extrovert who really needs to be alone, but I like to be. I like to feel in a crowd. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Get that. What's nice about Sir Giles and I are Crystal Palace fans, and what's nice about going to Palace games is not only go to home games with my dad, sit behind yeah. my dad, but away games, it, even if I got on my own a few times, I went to Aston Villa a couple of years ago when Wayne Hennessy threw it in the back of the net. That was, oh, that yeah. was <laughs> um, is I'll go to the game, not intending to meet anyone, and I'll see half yeah. a dozen familiar faces. You see mm-hmm. people. Right, Jim, this is really nice. And well, I it is that feeling. Yeah, it I is like the old bag thing. as well, who's like, you know, and she's just sort of knows, but it's more like she knows the facts, but she doesn't. And I love, there was a woman at Arsenal, and she was like, we're saving ourselves for Europe, she'd always be shouting. <laughs> and the black taxi driver who would, I used to sit on the halfway line when I was at um, Highbury and in the West, Lower West, and there'd be the taxi driver, and he'd put his B&H, his programme, <laughs> and his lighter, he was called Kit Kat, and no one touched it. And I, <laughs> and I took someone once, and they put their feet, and I was like, no. No, you mate. You can't put your bottle <laughs> on Kit Kat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's like hierarchy of like fans, isn't there, that have like earned their right and yeah, their absolutely. place. And it's a, I, like, I love going to football. I was, uh, to be honest, when Palace, Palace doing quite well now, obviously. And in fact, we've got Arsenal tomorrow um, at Sellers. Yeah. Um, yes. But when we were doing badly, it was more about the pub pre-hand, the pub post-match, and then chatting to your mates through the game. Yes. And actually the football, the football almost became secondary to actually yeah, the experience of going to the I game. Just, well, there's probably quite a lot for, for a yeah. lot of people as well. It, you, because you build up that family kind of thing with the with your fellow season ticket holders. Yeah. It is about seeing those familiar faces yeah. each week and the football is sort of secondary. You know? I'm loving talking about the football. I don't even... Are we recording, my Yeah, way? yeah, we're oh, doing it. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love how casual this is because I love a casual podcast. You know yeah, when yeah. you go and you do those sort of chats and it's all like, okay, and in the studio now? She's right. <laughs> and I think, oh no, I'm on. I feel yeah. like the, the sort of stairs on Parkinson. Do you, do you find, yeah, do you find that difficult then? More difficult to, <laughs> we to, don't to do communicate. That. Do you know what I think? I personally think no one responds well to being on. Because when I started doing radio, and now I feel like I'm Peter Eustonoff telling an anecdote. When, yeah, yeah. I started, <laughs> when I started doing radio, I remember Frank Skinner, who I do the show with, had said to me, it'll take you a couple of years before you start sounding like yourself. I was like, a couple of years. What? Mm. But he's right, of mm. course. And I'm, I think that's true for stand-ups and any form of performer is that you almost have to unlearn that natural instinct to um, be somebody other than mm. who you are. Because, A, because I think there's an inclination to be slightly frightened of being vulnerable and, and expressing who we really are. But also... Yeah. You just put a mic in front of someone, and they sometimes go a bit weird. Yeah, oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. I've d- I've done a lot of like TV work and video stuff, and sometimes as soon as that red light goes on, people can change. You'd be in, you'd be in the studio beforehand, the audience like warming up, or whatever, and people like really chatty, and then the red yeah. light goes on, and they, they they'll freeze, or they'll you can see their shoulders going up. Like it's it's a, it's a funny phenomenon. Yeah, well, it was weird when you, I just said to you, "Are we recording?" There was a part of me that thought maybe I won't ask that because. It's quite good not to know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. sort of think sometimes. Yeah. It's like you've got friends, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but I think, God, when you're one-on-one, you're absolutely brilliant. But yeah. as soon as you put them in an environment with loads of people and yeah. I, they start to sort of do a number and feel they have to win everyone's love and approval. and I mean, I have a tendency to do that, which is possibly why I'm on high alert about it. Because yeah. we judge... People, when we feel it's like giving up smoking, isn't it? You sort of feel, oh, I was like that once. I think I do the same thing in public. I feel do like you? the need to be performing and to for people to like me. So I think, all right, I'd better be on it today. But I don't. I, there better not be any awkward pauses. I better fill those pauses with inane chit chat. Do you do mm. that, Josh? I think post the conversation, I will analyze. You might analyze it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Did I say the right thing? Oh, what was I? Oh, oh, what could I have said better? You know, for them to have liked me more, yeah, or whatever it might be. I think so. I think it, uh, certainly in a sort of post-conversation analy- anal- analysis. Yeah. I can't say that word. Post-match analysis. Yes, um, you do yeah. the sort of director's cut. Yeah, your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. then what Giles oh, did here, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. It was interesting actually because I was reading something about how unnatural it is 
for us to watch ourselves or hear ourselves. And it was fascinating to do with the brain and how we're essentially primed for enemies, aren't we? So you perceive and read and, and process information in a negative light. You're, you're unavoidably drawn to the negative. So you look and hear yourself, you will only ever pick up. You're looking to confirm your worst fears, mm. in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, that predator is going to eat me. Yeah. And that's what happens, oddly, when I think you hear or see yourself. Yeah. Which is why I sort of think it's probably best not to, um, once you've learned the mistakes, which possibly you never, uh, uh, never properly learn. But um, I think it's, there's always that voice, isn't there? And I think in my case, it's that sense of, as you were saying, just get, being your own worst Twitter troll, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mm. idiot, what do you know? Mm. And I mean, it's really weird. I even got an email this morning from a really nice man who's someone I work with professionally. And we were discussing, I won't go into it, but it was a work situation and it was to do with someone not delivering something. And he responded by saying, hi, Emily, big sigh, in quotes. And mm. then he said, don't worry, I'll get onto it. How I read that was, hi, Emily, <sighs> big sigh, yeah. you've got in touch again. Yeah, and yeah. I can't bear it. And that's my response. Yeah. So I thought I'm going to tell him that's what I found. <laughs> and I just said... Oh, um, when you said big sigh for one hideous moment, I thought that was a reaction to um, hearing my name. <laughs> and then he said, no, 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 don't be silly. And the colleague mm. also CC'd on the email said, this is why I never email. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what was odd was that I thought, isn't that interesting? A lot of people, and I think Frank, who I work with, would be one of them, would never, would never assume that was a dig at them. And sometimes when I do the dog podcast um i'm fascinated by comics how i remember interviewing rob beckett and he said i walk into a room and i just think oh everyone loves me everyone thinks i'm great <laughs> and i thought god if i could have a tenth of that yeah yeah, so. yeah because it's um it can be quite sort of disabling i think you know yeah. and it's something that i just think you have to and i did and i checked myself and i thought right i'm doing this interview and i want it to be nice and i want to be in a good form and it's fine but yeah I need to check out that people are okay with me in a way that sometimes I feel a bit ashamed of because it it's very needy, isn't it, and not very attractive. But I, but <laughs> I think, but no, but I think it's a human quality. I think we all we all want to be liked by each other. We would say in another episode actually that we're social animals, mm. and so I think it's probably quite innate in us that this kind of thing that we all want to be. I think if you want to liked. connect to lots of people, you do want to feel liked yeah. and loved. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think it's actually quite a positive. But I think if you're, I think you're right. Though, if you're sensitive nature. to it, then you're sensitive to everything, and anything that might jeopardise that, yeah. or make you appear in a different way, then you are sensitive to that. So obviously, like your email with the big sigh, thinking, oh, it's me. But how it's did me, it feel? When, uh, did you feel better when it came back and it was like, no, it's fine? Yeah, I felt validated, reassured. Right? Yeah. But then with a seven percent shame and embarrassment that <laughs> he was then saying yeah. I can't believe she so sent an email about that but <laughs> I just have accepted or I'm trying to I need to do that because yeah. you know we use that concept of oversensitive and of course I love the work that Hannah Gadsby does on this because of course she says well there's no such thing who are you to say I'm oversensitive you're basing that on your judgment of sensitivity which may be sociopathic, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, there are certain people that would say they're oversensitive and I'd think, no, you're just lacking empathy, Gene. And there are certain people I'd think, well, maybe. So I guess it's um I guess it's just honesty really. But I I wonder with you, Giles, because I know about your backstory, because I've just read your fabulous book and it's absolutely brilliant by the way. I'm so moved by it. It's brilliantly written. Um but you um I was wondering just with loss, whether that's mm. something that you think that that fear of abandonment and potential reading, rejection and abandonment into everything. Do you think that's something yeah. you feel more keenly? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think. Um, well, going back to that need to be loved, I think I put a post up recently about um, my dad and how um, I was forever trying to make him laugh and smile like this constant kind of need. So I would put on funny movies. I would act funny or 
so I thought, um, and be silly and just continually trying to make him, because he was an alcoholic, and outside of the house, he was quite, he was well known in the local town as being quite eccentric. He was a local councillor. He was really bigger than life. Um, and at home, he wasn't like that. He was more morose and angry and dejected and, you know, because he'd lost his wife and stuff. He was a drinker before that, but yeah, I think obviously it propelled that that part of his life and I think yeah so I was this constant need to want to make him smile and laugh and I put up a post about it saying that since kind of he passed away that I've become like a harvester of smiles I put as a phrase because I am constantly trying to make sure people smile and laugh and be happy and and, and through you know being I don't know trying to be kind or whatever it might be that's the way I deal with that and I think that's yeah that for me, that was that's a big takeaway from that situation. It's only something I've realised very recently. Mm. Mm. Um, I don't know why it's come out now, particularly, but I think it was something that I just that dawned on me that yeah, I was I was doing this, uh, and yeah, and then being sensitive to those situations. You yeah, know. Um, that's 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 my own situation, but I relate yeah. to that because I think I grew up in a family, possibly for different reasons, but where we were always on, even in our private time, and that's partly because my mum was an actor and my dad was, you know, on telly as well. And I think it was also just their personalities, and I think it was that sense of, um, you know, dinner parties and um, just that you had to slightly sing for your supper all the time. Mm. And... Um, I remember being at a dinner party with my parents' friends and there was a director and he was pretty pissed at the time, which slightly excuses him, but he started... There was a woman there who was obviously quite shy and introverted and everyone's telling their big anecdotes, you know, about so-and-so. And I remember when I was talking to, you know, Gore Vidal and it was all <laughs> slightly hideous, if I'm honest, sort of, you know, intellectuals in North London. And this partner... This this woman was obviously just not didn't feel confident or like she wanted to contribute. And the guy turned around and he was drunk and he said, "I mean, it's funny in retrospect, but he said, you have contributed nothing to this evening. <laughs> oh nothing. My God, you have drunk our wine, you've eaten our food, you have listened to us. What has been your contribution? <laughs> oh my God, I'd be mortified if that was true. And I remember." What was odd was that my parents were thinking it was hilarious and it became a story. Mm -hmm. But it didn't strike me as odd that you would do that. That's the sort of slight atmosphere I grew up in that, yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you don't go to a dinner party and sit there and say nothing. That's, yeah. you know, but it, it's just, it's great and it's fun and it's chaotic bonhomie. But I think where it becomes problematic is when you feel um, that you can't, express vulnerability in mm. a way because you're giving your best self all the time so I do relate to what you were saying that need to I felt with my dad mm. that was how he would love me you know yeah. I felt he yeah. didn't love me innately um and so I felt for him to like me I would say cute funny things mm. precocious things um and know about books and yeah when he sort of left us when I was younger and he just left us notes, it was a bit hideous and he went to live in New Zealand, but I would write him letters and I would look up words in the dictionary to sort of impress him. And it's a bit heartbreaking because, I mean, I don't think I kind of knew how to use them properly. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but isn't it weird as a child, you think he'll like me if I do that? You know, it's why anyone becomes famous, isn't it? It's yeah. essentially to make a parent love them, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, it's. I'm interested that you had, and I don't know what your history is, Jim. I just love your videos, so <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. Thank you. That is my history. Yeah, <laughs> my videos. I think the vulnerability is interesting because it. We're all different people, and I think vulnerability comes out in different ways for some people. Mm. And I don't think it's the sort of one blanket way of looking at it. So, I always try and like, as I said before, like I, if I'm in a room, I get nervous of silent mo moments. So I try and pick up on that and fill them. But I try and be sensitive to other people and think, well, what's their backstory? Where's their vulnerability? And like, if they're not being chatty, okay, maybe they're not, not as comfortable mm. doing that. But 
it's difficult to appreciate that everyone's got a different backstory mm-hmm. and everyone's coming from a different angle. Yeah. Um, and I think we're so inward people and we're always thinking about ourselves that sometimes it's helpful to think, well, it's like if I have a bad interaction with someone, my first instinct is, well, what a wanker that guy is. And then I try and remind myself, and it is difficult, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they've had something horrible happen in their life this week. They they might not even realise they've been rude to me. And I'm, Giles and I have spoken off, off air about this, but uh, there's a footballer who, ex-footballer who vehemently dislikes me. And we had an interaction online. Uh, and it's seven years ago. And I'm still re- he still has blocked me and won't talk to me. In fact, blanked me at a party recently. It was <laughs> incredibly embarrassing. But because I reacted badly to something he did to me. But again, looking back, he might have been having a really bad day or a bad year or something. And that's now seven years later. And it's become this really awkward thing. Yeah. Although it's interesting, the fact that, I'm not trying to make you feel better, but I do think a lot of sportsmen, you know, I I saw Mike Tyson being interviewed recently and um, I think there were obviously still quite a lot of issues there. But he's attempted to work on himself a bit, I think. Yeah. And he was, he was, and I realised that when he was saying, I never heard no. Mm. I never heard no. Mm. And he said, you don't get this in any other arena because I suppose even acting or singing, there's an ensemble mm. aspect to it. Whereas it's, there's a level of um, kind of having to be a bit of a psychopath, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And... What I'm saying is, whoever this footballer is, he's a psychopath, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> also, we should caveat. We should caveat that Jim sent him an email that said "big sign." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> when we're doing that, he didn't again. bother to reply. Didn't oh, he? ridiculous! No, um, he didn't even ask me what the content was. So. But I know you had. So you had quite a bohemian upbringing. Yeah. Basically. It was. So, so life wasn't straightforward no I suppose like anyone it was all I knew so I just thought everyone had childhoods like mine and then it started to dawn on me that maybe everyone else didn't go to sort of you know um all these different schools and and move around so regularly you know because we moved a lot my dad was you know I said he was like a shark he just had to keep moving all the time. And now I realise he was running from something internally and mm, mm. I didn't have the, the sophistication or, you know, life experience to understand that. Have you understood that now, though, what he was running from? Do you know? Yeah, I think he um, I think he grew up... I, I think, like a lot of people, he all his issues stemmed from not getting the right kind of love, probably mm. from well-intentioned parents from mm. a different generation who farmed him out to nannies and who's from a very wealthy family. And, uh, yeah, I see that now. Mm. And possibly, you know, I w- possibly doing too much for him. You know, I know I was reading about snowplow parents the other day. You know, they've taken on from helicopter parents, haven't they? This is phase two, which is clearing any obstacle in their kids' way. Following on from the Felicity Huffman stuff. um, It was all about, and I was interested in that, just this idea that you don't teach your children how to meet life. Mm. You make life meet them. And I wonder if you've had that. My dad had always had that. So I don't know what was going on. I mean, when he was married to someone before my mum and my grandmother just sorted it all out, they paid, you know, the alimony. And I, yeah, yeah. he just had no sense of responsibility. But I also think sometimes, I don't know. It's it's interesting looking at it. Now I feel so much compassion for him and I, I think he felt the need to be someone he wasn't because it all comes from... Lack of self-esteem, doesn't it? Essentially, mm. but so my parents were um, brilliant characters and hilarious, and we had this. I always compared it to being like we were on the road, mm. like we were a band mm. on tour. No, we were more like a sort of slightly naff touring sort of band of amateur dramatic <laughs> people. We were <laughs> legs akimbo. Yeah, 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 we were legs akimbo exactly, <laughs> yeah. and. Um, they were in jokes and it's sort of this sense that anyone who didn't get them was just, you know, <laughs> not to be tolerated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so it meant it was very peripatetic and we moved around a lot. 
and my sister was really my rock. She she was sort of like my parent, really. She was my constant sort of sense of home. She was home. Mm. Um, we were very close, and she was two years older than me. And because we would sort of be... Um, it's like those, you know, sort of buddy movies when you're in this weird situation together where there's high adrenaline all the time and yeah. what's happening now? We're going mm. to Australia and who's this weird drunk that's turned up at four in yeah. the morning, you know, going on about socialism? We, you bond. You need you a know. comrade, don't yeah. you? exactly. Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. talking about socialism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, no, just, yeah. But it's, it seems like the apt word to use. Yeah. So you're someone that's, yeah, it was alongside you. Yeah, and we had we were constantly thrust into slightly situations that I guess were a bit unusual for kids because um, my parents had dinner parties and we didn't have um, tea or you know we would just have to muck in with the adults so mm. um, we would have dinner party leftovers for breakfast you know we'd say oh what yeah. should we eat we've got to eat you'd sort of say we've got to eat we've got to go to school and <laughs> yeah so you, were you fending for yourself yeah, parenting yourself no, well no because my mum was mm. a weird thing I always called her nighttime mum and daytime mum and on the one hand my mum had this idea of being you know daytime mum was like let's go to the national gallery and I'll make you some lovely sandwiches and cut them into triangles and nighttime mum was um, very sort of studio 54 and Smoking wow. and drinking yeah, yeah. and, wow. you know, um, so it was interesting. So that, so it was it was complicated because you sort of never knew who you'd be getting. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's yeah. quite disorientating. I yeah, and I felt at dinner parties there was... Did, well, I was going to say, did the, those things ever cut into each other? Like, so daytime mum became... Well, well nighttime mum rolling over into daytime. Well, I'll tell you what was tricky, <laughs> I think, was that she was nighttime mum and daytime mum, depending on who we were with. So sometimes you'd have the dog families, you know, who I was obsessed with, the mm. people with the Volvo and the Tupperware and all this. And if a dog family came around, you know, she was daytime mum and she'd have a sort of lace blouse. I mean, honestly, down to how she dressed. Wow. And she was mm. an actor. So the way she talked and her views, her politics, everything. And then nighttime mum, which was with her mainly gay friends in the theatre, it was... Um, yeah, it was interesting. So I, I wonder what effect that might have had on me just looking at that and the sort of chameleon nature of it. And I just that oh, what you do is you become someone different depending on who you're yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we all do. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny we were saying earlier about being on all the time. Yeah. And I wonder, I guess your mum was mm. on all the time. Yeah, she was. I mean, even if we go to the post office, which was sort of hilarious and brilliant to grow up around because... She would say, um, you know, they'd say, cashier number four, please. And she'd be, oh, darling, I'm on. (laughs) (laughs) She was at the theatre. It was, I sort of loved it in a way Mm. because I knew she was different. And occasionally we'd drop off the dog family friends to their houses with all their organised, you know, the mums standing there looking all pristine and... Uh, ushering them into bed and my mum's smoking with Billy Joel blaring in the car and <laughs> parking tickets piled up and I would see the children looking back a bit wistfully at our car and yeah. thinking oh that's the party train that's and the cool car but sometimes you you want to go to bed after the party mm. and I and I just felt with Rach and I um sometimes I I wanted you know you want to be the rebel you want to be yeah, yeah, yeah. kicking against authority so um, they were. It, it's interesting though. It's only since both my parents died that I feel such love and pride for them, and that took a long time. Mm. And it, for me, it came about as a result of um, empathy and understanding them. And it really was only through imagining what they'd been through. My mum had this incredibly chaotic childhood. My grandmother, who again we turned into a sort of figure of fun and this character because mm. she had five husbands and, you know, she was moving around the world and my mum would say, when you'd say, why is granny being horrible to me? She'd say, because she's on amphetamines, darling, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> and yeah. she was a, a sort of extraordinary woman. But imagine growing up in that. Mm. And my mother so desperately wanted to create an environment for me and my sister that was dog family, daytime mum. Yeah. 
But um, the past catches up with you, doesn't it? Yeah, well, you, have, you have to sort of, like, I think it's getting older as well. The older you get and you realise how difficult life is and what a balancing act it is. Mm. I think you can let your parents off the hook a little bit and realise that they're not, they're just people trying to do what they do. Like, I remember growing up thinking my dad was chartered accountant, second generation Irish Catholic, very boring. You well, see, you've just described dad. my dream childhood. <laughs> <laughs> but I look back now and realise he was incredibly solid and supportive and was always there and still is now and is a very supportive dad, even though I keep changing my career every five minutes. Um, but it takes growing up to realise that, I think. And for me to understand how the world works, to look back and think, oh, OK, no, he was actually doing his best and still is. Well, that's the thing is that I think you look at... Uh, when you describe that, I think my response is I just I would have thought God I just want a dad that I can ring up and get ask about tax and oh, that's roads yeah you that's know. what yeah. I do it's literally, especially in January that's what I'm going to do tonight probably <laughs> ask him sort my tax for me whereas I'd ring my dad up and he'd say he'd quote Larkin or and I'd say dad I just need to talk to you about uh, you know something practical yeah um but in a way, that's left a beautiful legacy yeah. in a way. And I now look back, I've kept a lot of his cuttings from when he was a TV, he was on a program called Late Night Lineup in the 60s, which was, you know, and it's so odd, all this stuff that I wish I could ask him now. And I'm sure you have that. Well, well. What I was gonna, interesting, I was going to say about um, how we, when we lose things, we sometimes find stuff. Oh, yeah, that's good. Because I lost my mum when I was very young, so I was only six. So, like, um, as opposed to the book where I'm a bit older in the book. But, um, so I didn't know my mum. So I had, to, I had to kind of find out about her and find her. And, it, and it's been through a process of the years finding out about her and finding her as a person as well, not just, you know, through photos and things and the things she'd done, but actually finding and working out where she was coming from. And I think sometimes when we do lose a person, um, it does take a while to find who they are. I mean, obviously, you found that with your you found that with your parents. With my parents, um, and I also I'm interested in that personally because my sister died first. Mm. I would say she was the first to go. They killed off the best character first, and then followed by my parents. It's like Game of Thrones. I know it really yeah. was. It was kind of like, and also I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying that, but it's like, oh no, not not Sean Bean. Not sorry yeah. if anyone hasn't seen it. Yeah, yeah. Statute of limitations over spoiler alert. Yeah. Um. But the reason I'm interested in you saying that is obviously mm. my sister had two kids and because she died so quickly in a space of like, you know, it was very swift mm. and um, her oldest was 10 at the time, Mimi, but Bertie was only um, a year. She just turned mm. one and my sister died a week after Bertie's first birthday. And I always felt she held on for that. Mm. I always felt, yeah, because my mum was sort of saying, I was sort of saying, oh, why is she, she's ill. She's, you know, I sort of knew she was dying then. And mm. why is she putting on makeup and sitting? And when my mum yeah, said you, it's a, and you want them to let go. Yeah, and my mum said it's. A, my mum just said really quietly. She said it's her daughter's birthday. Mm. And as I'm not a parent, it hadn't even occurred to mm. me that you would want to experience just one birthday at least with your child. Of course. Yeah. So, um, but I don't know. Bertie's getting to the age now where she's sort of eight and is curious mm. and similarly I mean you would have some memories of your mum presumably yeah 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 and I have yeah and there are obviously in the book as well there, yeah. are, there are fragments of that in there. yeah um so I yeah so I, want, fragments. I wonder why um which is why it works with the poetry so yeah, so yeah, yeah. About it. that's why <laughs> right. that works but I think with Bertie I'm just curious you know is she going to feel um what what issues will that present her with, do you think? When I mean, I'm not saying they're necessarily all negative, but how will that manifest itself for her growing up? Well, I think going through my teen years, obviously teen years is very difficult anyway, but I think it wasn't until really, I mean, even now, like just still experiencing wanting to know more about that person. I mean, it's just on, on, a, on a very kind of, anecdotal level really yeah um still you know and and fair enough actually social media in a lot of ways has been really good because i've actually been able to get in people have, i think because i've gained a little bit of notoriety through my books and stuff i've had people contact me saying oh, i knew your mum when in the 1960s or whatever it was but you know i worked with her wow. for 
three or four months and wow. and they've been and one lady like to hear from those I yeah. love to hear from yeah. people like that uh, one lady her name's Carol she sent me a load of old photographs and they were photographs of like my mum and dad when they first met and they were in Whoa. the you know in the the sort of real flourishes of first love you know and it's incredibly beautiful to see those things and obviously very you know it's emotional mm. um but it's still that, you know, you're still f- I'm finding more all the time. Mm. And I think I probably will be searching for the rest of my life in a way to find out right. about her. And, and, and my dad obviously is gone as well. So, it, and, and, and finding out how, what made them tick, why they were, why they, what, why they were like they were, why there is innately stuff in me that is from them. Yeah, that's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? That you think they're not, Mimi said something the other day, who's older, she's just, 18 and she rounded on someone um an elderly relative who you know was basically a bit homophobic (laughs) and uh she said uh she said can you not say that in my house i i find that really upsetting when you talk like that about gay people and i just won't have it and i almost burst into tears because it was my sister it was my sister who was so a feminist when it was unfashionable. Um, you know, I mean, she was going on CND marches when we were all going to Bross concerts or whatever. I I found that really moving. I thought, oh, good, that's still here. Yeah, I was going to say that. You know? Do you recognise bits of your sister in yeah, her children? Because they must be there. I do, actually. I really do. And sometimes even funny things, like Bertie can be a bit bossy, even though she's younger, with Mimi, and my sister would do that. <laughs> my sister was sort of... She was sort of like she was managing me a bit of the time because I was wild and a bit out of control and always in trouble. And uh, she would, she was a bit big sigh, you know. She was like, Emmy, what have you done now? You know, when I weed in a glass and gave it to the babysitter and said, would you like some apple juice? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) We've all done that, haven't we? (laughs) I never forgot she was called Mrs. Lyon. I doubt she's... It was something so weird about her. If you're listening. Mrs. Lyon. (laughs) I do apologise. But it was... um, There was a sense of her that loved it and found it quite thrilling that she had this... She could sort of step back from it Mm. and um, send me out to cause chaos. (laughs) So... um, I think that happens, isn't it? People live on in other people. So my wife's dad passed away 10 years ago last month when Miranda was 26, I think. And uh, I only met Miranda eight years ago, seven years ago, so I never met him. Heard a lot of stories about him. And he was That's your wife is Miranda? Yeah, Miranda. For a minute, when you said Miranda, I thought you were just mentioning it was at the time when Miranda the comic <laughs> happened. Yeah, just, just for reference. So thought, yeah. In case you weren't sure. the whole time? Just, and then um, Jeremy Vine was 40. Yeah, Vine, just so. Jeremy Vine started his radio <laughs> <five> show. Man <laughs> United just won the title. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. he was a very gregarious, chatty, friendly guy. And it sounds like he would have, I would have got on with him really well. But we've just had a daughter. We've got a three-month-old daughter called Maria. Oh. And Miranda keeps saying, when Maria smiles in a certain way or does something, she's like, that's my dad. So now it's like I'm getting to meet Eddie through my daughter, just little bits, which is nice. That's I never so got lovely. To meet him. Yeah. And I also think, I said to someone, you know, I, I think you become the slight go-to person for loss, or oh, I, yeah. I feel I have, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I'm sure you have as well. Yeah, yeah. And I quite like that, that I feel like the fourth emergency service. I have yeah. friends all the time saying, so-and-so's just lost someone. Do you think I could put you in touch? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah. But um, Also, do you know what? I've, um, there's a, I live in a small town in, on the South Coast, and I've ma- we've managed, we call ourselves the Dead Poets Society because there's, <laughs> there's literally about five or six of us have all, we've just become friends organically. Yeah. Yeah. And you are a poet. All, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we've, um, we've all lost parents. We've all lost a parent or two parents, and we've um, and and it's just this weird kind of synergy that we've like come together. To, and, it, and it's something we, I don't know we talk about it all the time, but it's something that we have got. We can <laughs> empathise with us and a connection that's something that we doesn't all doesn't like come back to the start of the podcast. We're saying we need this. Yeah, that's yeah. So I don't know if you've had that at all. Definitely, definitely. I've had people. I've become um, really sort of. I don't think I'd have had friendships with them no. had we not bonded over that. And mm. I became um, friends with so many people who, 
someone had read my book. It was actually, you know, Diane Morgan. Mm. Um, and she came up to me at a party and she was just talking and said, oh my God, this is so weird. I've just read your book. And she said she'd found it helpful, which I was really touched to hear because she'd lost a parent mm. recently and her dad had died. And do you know what was odd? Normally you have those conversations at parties and it's just chit-chat, isn't it? And mm-hmm. it's social stuff. And we went straight in. <laughs> it was like we just pe- had peeled off all that other crap, basically. Mm. That necessary sort of stuff you have to wade through. And went to the heart of it. And mm. I found it, that's what death, I suppose, has done for me, is that... Um, we had a really meaningful, lovely conversation yeah. and we were both a bit tearing up. And I think what it's about for me is that we're so sort of trained not to express vulnerability mm, and yeah. that it's embarrassing socially. You're on, you're best foot forward. Mm. And I think what it does is actually when you're vulnerable with someone and when you tell them about you know how you've been, it's a connection. Yeah, yeah. Like we were saying, it means yeah. that you you don't connect with someone when you're being someone else or yeah. you're hiding. Yeah. So that was incredible. And we walk our dogs because she's got a dog. Well, we should say we're here yeah. with. Yes. Now, do you call him Raymond or Ray? Or is well, it a bit of both? Is he's been bad? <laughs> he's been bad. Or do you, you know what? Naughty. I'm quite proud that I called him Raymond because it's such a weird name. Yeah. So when I'm out, I sort of show off and say Raymond. Yeah. And people will say, Raymond, what a great name. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Is he is he a Raymond after a famous Raymond? Yeah, or is it he's just... a Raymond because I chose him. When I went to get him, it was with my niece Mimi. And we were yeah. thinking of names. And I said, I always wanted a sort of... Martin or Stephen for a yeah, dog. Yeah, I, like, I want Nigel. Stephen for a dog. Yeah. Stephen's my dog name. Steve. My friend's got yeah. My friend's Steve. got a cat called Nigel, which is you a see, good that's name. great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was Definitely. out doing my podcast yeah. and Definitely. I met Ian. Uh, there was a ma- yeah, Ian's good. There was Ian's great. <laughs> Because no offence to any Ians out there, no, especially no. not Righty, but it's quite a horrible name. Yeah, we don't. You don't get many Ians, do you? Real, I mean, like, let's be honest Ian, about this. I want to do a podcast called Horrible Names. Ian. I saw a tweet this morning on the way in saying, "Who names their baby Ian?" <laughs> who of you is named? Yeah. Who the fuck is naming their baby Ian? It's a fair point. Alan is quite a weird name. For Alan is a great name for well. an animal. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, you were saying. But <laughs> I had, yeah, no, I did the podcast recently, and I was like, you know, you encounter people, and there was a an old lady which I liked, so it wasn't a trendy sort of East London millennial being ironic. I said, oh, what's your dog called? And she went, Jeff. <laughs> with a J or a G? Yeah, exactly. It was with oh, a G, which is even Oh, better. really? That is Jeff. really good. Like That's Jeff Capes. Or Jeff Hurst. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. see, I went Hurst. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, when I named Ray, it was partly that I wanted a, a Jeff yeah. Yeah. Uh, Capes type name. Yeah. And also, it was um, because my sister was called Rachel. Yeah. And because we lived in Australia for some of my childhood, she as soon as we got there, you know what they're like. It's like, oh, what's your name, Ray? Yeah, Ray. <laughs> so, um, and her surname was Dean, so it was like Ray Dean. It was like <laughs> Nolene or something. So that became her nickname. Yeah. And I thought Ray felt like a sort of nod to my sister mm. without being too um, over the top, mm. you know, and nice for the girls. I love yeah. it. When I call Ray... I sometimes think of her and I just thought it would be a way of keeping her in my life yeah. As, yeah. A, as a memory. You know, not that I would need to, any aids for that. No. Well, and you talk about it in your brilliant book as well, which we should talk about, um, about um, wanting to be like the dog. You mentioned it earlier, the dog families and having that, that sense of sort of normality, I guess. Yeah, I felt when I was growing up, you know, this idea of the dog families was just so important to me. This, I couldn't get it out of my head just that they were normal and we were other. And they didn't have grandmas who were on amphetamines and had five husbands. And they didn't yeah. have parents that sort of on Christmas Day you watched French films about adultery. You know, they, they watched <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life. And, yeah. you know. and so, um, yeah, I guess that was what I longed for. And I think the dog really represented that to me. But looking mm. back again with hindsight, I wonder if the dog was also to do with constancy and yeah. permanence and a sense of home. And I do say something in my book, but I do believe mm. it, which is um, dogs force you to stay. Mm. 
And I think from a young age, I just kept feeling just as we got to know friends, they would leave just mm. as. Yeah. And I also felt with, you know, my dad left when I was quite young. He went to New Zealand and just left us notes. And I don't think I realized quite what an impact that had on me. Yeah. And my dynamics with men and trust and um, always sort of predicting my own abandonment to a degree facilitating it because I, I felt comfortable with that. Yeah. And that's what we do, isn't it? So. Yeah, I guess I I sort of dogs became a symbol of something that was out of my reach. I couldn't have that because that felt like contentment and happiness. And, you know, m most of my 20s and a lot of my 30s, I was the party girl. I was, you know, at clubs and I mean, I say clubs make myself sound cool. I wasn't. I was at friends drinking wine, probably. But. <laughs> You know, I didn't, again, I didn't see it at the time, but I was escaping, I think. And uh, I didn't feel I was good enough to look after anybody or anything. I felt um, my role was to be a guest star. I appeared in other people's lives. I went to their houses. I complimented them on their decor. I celebrated their children's births, their marriages. That wasn't who I was. I was just that person that turns up on an episode of Friends and then disappears again, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah, that was... And I think w losing my sister, which was so shocking and life-altering so quickly, because there was no ramp to it, just happened, gone. Mm. The person I love and still love and will always love more than anyone in my whole life. And for her to go, I just... my my entire sensibility changed overnight and I started from scratch. And then I lost my parents in this sort of 36 month period. So it was, of course there were gonna be changes. And I think one of them was me feeling, what if I did get a dog? What if I could love something and look after it and it would love me back and it was unconditional? Mm. And maybe that would actually be good for me to experience unconditional love because I've never felt I deserved it. And I just thought, no, I need to do this. Mm. And I can be, I can create my own dog family. I don't need the accountant dad, although that'd be nice. Is, <laughs> yeah, he, is, is he available or is he still? Possibly, he's sort of semi-retired, but uh, he's very friendly and helpful. Okay, so he probably I'll would talk. help out. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so then it became, then I got Ray and I just, as soon as I saw him, I mean, he just, it melted my heart. Yeah, we should say that Ray is here with us because I don't think I actually mentioned that. And now I'm not very au fait with dogs, types of dogs. So what is Ray? Ray is a Shih Tzu. Okay, right. Um, Which is the most hilarious of dog names. <laughs> I know, I know, of course. I had to go for a comedy name. I always yeah. say he looks more like a Wookiee. Yes. Yeah. I can say he does look quite Chewbacca-esque. He's very Chewbacca and he doesn't bark. He has a growl, which is like, oh. Oh, really? So he does sound oh, a bit amazing. like yeah, a, a stormtrooper. He is coming very, and he's very beautiful, you. I have to say. <clears throat> and he's, yeah, I always say it's quite appropriate that he's like Chewbacca because he's become my hand solo. Yeah. No, I should be the no, hand, your solo. hand solo. I'm sorry, I got sorry, that yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but he, yeah, he's just a, he's just a companion and you know what it's like. I don't want to come across saying, you know, I've got all the answers, people listening saying, well, you haven't at all. You sound absolute balmy, but no, I think I've tried to sort of work on myself a bit, but, um, I have bad days. Of Everyone course. does. Yeah, and I, yeah. and I sometimes feel this, he's just... <laughs> Look, he's licking now. He knows we're talking about him. Um, that's been really incredible, just having that sense of... Um, there's something very calming and soothing about dogs. Oh, definitely, 100%. And I didn't realise that until I'd had one. So, yeah, he's been really life-changing. It's also made me quite intolerant of people that don't like dogs. Yeah. I say, if someone... If I'm walking down the street... You're team dog now, aren't you? That's the thing, isn't it? Dogs are amazing. Well, Can't I've become be a... a bit entitled because it's like, if we're walking down the street, this must be what it's like being, like, an incredibly beautiful woman, like a sort of model, <laughs> that if people don't give you a double take, <laughs> you think, well, well, I'm sorry, is there something wrong yeah. with you? Yeah. yeah. Why didn't you check me Have out? Have you not seen <laughs> what I've I feel that with Ray. I sometimes say, don't worry, Ray, they're obviously not dog people. <laughs> 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 um, dogs are amazing. I love dogs. Yeah. Um, 
I have to go in a minute. Okay. Oh. I'll just be so rude. I've got a casting for a pot noodle advert, and that's actually not a joke. <gasps> have you? Um, yeah. Oh, I hope <laughs> you get it. Thank, thanks. I need the money. You'd be good in that. Um, just pick it. When you were talking about what if a minute ago, mm. that really struck with me, and I think there'll be a lot of people listening to this podcast who probably have what if moments for various reasons in their lives. What if I did this? What if I went for that mm. job? What if I did buy a dog? What if I changed the way I think about stuff? And I know it's probably quite hard for some people to take that step and do it, but it nearly always is a positive experience, even if it doesn't work out. Does that make sense? Yeah, even absolutely. if you just did it. Mm. Yeah. What you mean the sort of in terms of just get the dog get or the dog. do the thing or yeah. write yeah. the book. Yeah. You know. Um yeah, absolutely. And I do think I feel like I'm doing the PR for death, but I do think that is something with loss that only really comes with loss, yeah. to be honest, because it's only, you know, people always say you have to die to understand yeah. what it is to live, you know, and I think coming close to death is the next, I was going to say best thing, but I always say being in that intensive care unit with my sister is probably taught me more than anything I've ever experienced about life. Because this consultant said to me, you know, when I said, this is incredible here, it's oddly calm and peaceful. And he said, well, it's the only place where people actually do live in the moment. He said, people talk yeah. about it, don't they? Yeah. You see it on Instagram. And yeah. he said, but here, um, it really is. Because no one ever said tomorrow, no one ever said yesterday. They said today, we do, every day was a fresh day. Yeah. They spoke in the present. Yeah. And that was very powerful on me. I, I, so I try and, so, I mean, I don't want to actually go back there, but I try and um, channel the, the ICU quite a lot. Mm. Because I guess that you, you have no option but to live in the moment. Yeah. Mm. And I would wait, I would get there. And I remember when I would get there and I would think, okay, she's alive today, so it's a good day. Yeah. So yeah. today is a good day because she's still here and I've still got her. And... I need to, and, and so that, that does ground you in the present. And like I say, it's hard, isn't it? When you're, it doesn't mean I never get stressed about being late or someone sending me an email with big sigh on it. Um, but I, I think I'm able to return from that negative place mm. a little bit quicker yeah. than I was. It's been the legacy for me. And you've got to go to Pot Noodle, but <laughs> I would say um, you were talking earlier about that. Um, learning from it as well and the legacy and your own kid and that yeah. sort of living on and I think I don't know I'm not religious and I don't sorry Frank Skinner um, but he forgives me for that <laughs> <laughs> but I do believe that with loss what happens is that that person gets folded into you some way so your mum's in you I think mm. Giles and yeah, I yeah. think um, the legacy is how you change as a result of their death, essentially, is what I think. So you're probably a more empathetic person having gone through that. And I hope I am, because I used to want to be cool and funny, and um, now I want to be kind. Absolutely the same. But also, you can you can be all those things. You can be cool and funny. And be kind. Oh, he's giving a vote for the cool and funny brigade. <laughs> get out. <laughs> it's only because I want to be in that brigade as well. But He can't let go of the cool guy. I can't, I know. Look, jo be, it's okay. I'm not, I don't give a fuck about being cool. <laughs> no, do you know I stopped wanting to be cool and funny a long time ago? Because. Well, one person's idea of cool and funny is not the same as another's. Yeah. Do you know what I think? I know what you're saying. Listen, I do a comedy radio show. I mean, I'd be lying if I said, oh, I don't mind if I'm, you know. But um, I do think it's really interesting. And again, it is about experiencing that deathbed. You know, mm. I did three of the bastards in like, you know, not my family are bastards, but, you know, no, the yeah, deathbed yeah. concept. And because there's something about those qualities are so redundant. Yeah. When you're yeah. saying goodbye to people you love that actually it's really just about being empathetic and kind and sincere. Yeah. And so I suppose sometimes, you know, I think of, I just invested too heavily in that side of myself, the cool girl. Um, and I just think it's time for the other side to come out a bit. She needs a bit of airtime. 
Because <laughs> I think there was always probably a compassionate side to me, which was a bit more sensitive and prone to crying, you know, which I do. I cry yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, Crying's good. Me too, yeah. It's good. I cried at Neighbours the other day. It was very emotional. You still watch Neighbours? Yeah. I want I to make a it's documentary about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neighbours. Well, through my wife, I've got into I've never into it, but I watch it now. I it's haven't terrible, watched Neighbours since like, really like 1990. Really no, no. <laughs> I haven't shit. watched it since um, like <laughs> Helen Daniels went to the Bungle Bungles. Helen it's Daniels was one of the greatest TV characters. Yeah. Hello, home James. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the... Co- and you know what I loved is the way they talk about Lassiters. Still there. Yeah. Like, oh, Lassiters, co- yeah. Lassiters. Still there. Is Steph it? Stefan Dennis. Still there. Oh, still there. Yeah, Steph still Dennis, there. who had a very, very, Poor. very short um, music career. career. With a leather Germany, jacket. Yeah. Open he's to still the there. waist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My he's, favourite yeah. line was when... Uh, he's sort of like the Aussie Hasselhoff, isn't he? He's still, yes. being, the ha- he's still being the Hoff. Yeah. What about when well. Jane turned once because she got upset? Plain Jane Superbrain. She yeah. came back. Plain Jane Superbrain. <laughs> like his girl in Erinsborough. They brought her back. Really? And they had a, they had a little tryst oh. again. They, I suppose they just go around, don't they? They sort of... Yeah. They, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to be typecast as being a soap actress or actor. <laughs> I'm going to do other stuff. Oh, no, I'm coming back. But imagine being out was Alf uh, home and away. Uh, yeah, Flame and Mongrels. Flame and Mongrels. That's a great legacy. To yeah, is yeah. <laughs> a good legacy, it is. Yeah. Oh boys, I've loved this. Yes, thank you. I've seen an amazing I think it's a brilliant you. way to end on. Yeah, <laughs> Australian soap opera. <laughs> I know Helen Daniels. Flying doctors. I remember that. Brilliant. Oh, yes, I loved flying. Well, Helen Daniels used to go to the Bungle Bungles all the time, and I, I just want to know what the <laughs> Bungle Bungles are. I just like a nightclub. You're talking about Helen Daniels like she's an actual relative of yours. Yeah, yeah, she <laughs> went there. Do you know? I never saw her again. I really, I, liked, I really miss her. I liked it when they'd film, they'd do a scene, and because they had only, like, you know, such a small camera set up, yeah, yeah. there'd be a person at the table, and then there'd be all this space on the other side yeah, of it yeah. when they were doing deals. <laughs> Ray, can you give um, the boys a hug? Give them, oh, he's a bit smelly, actually, so no, he'll give you a wave. <laughs> give us a wave. Well, Thanks I thought, for coming I on, thought Ray. we were going to get a little, gr- a little growl, but that's not no, provoking to growl. do that. That's not provoking to do <laughs> Thank you, boys. Right, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the Rant Podcast. Brilliant. That was great. Okay, that was Emily Dean on the Blank Podcast. Wow, what a great interview that was. Great guest. Really enjoyed her company. And Raymond's as well. Yeah. And um, she was very honest, you know, and open. And I know obviously she's written a book about it as well, about the things she's been through. And mm. it's really quite inspiring as well to hear someone talk Yeah, and like very that. thoughtful about about what she's going through or what she's been through. Very mm. thoughtful. Um, and, you know, and, and, and what was nice was that... Um, and I guess maybe because Emily does her own radio show and stuff, and she does her own podcast called Walking with Walking the Dog, um, she she knows how to engage other yeah. people. So obviously she she kind of threw the threw the baton back a little bit to us, which was great. You know, it was very yeah. good for us to open up a little bit more as well. Yeah, and it always goes back to what we're saying at the start of the podcast: of sort of thinking about what you're saying and the mm. impact it can have. And the way you address people and the way you talk about your own experiences, because you never know who that's going to affect or who's going to be listening, who might take something away from it. Exactly. And, and what we, you know, we alluded to that, or certainly Emily did with her big sigh yeah, email. Exactly. And that yeah, kind of exactly. why I brought, and, and sort of why I brought it up at the beginning a bit about, you know, how, how ca- I'm, I'm not saying we need to be careful, but I think we do need to thoughtful, be, be think, more way, thoughtful yeah. about how we, how we talk to people, particularly in mediums where you can't show any kind of nuance of emotion. Absolutely. And speaking of people talking to us in mediums where you can't show any nuance or emotion, um, here's some tweets. Um, I've got one here from Andy Steen. It says, there's lots of questions, actually. Okay. Have ears? Yes, I do. Own headphones or earphones? I do. Have something capable of playing podcasts? Yes. Then why aren't you listening to Blank Pod yet? Get I, on it right now. I am. So thank you, Andy. That's a really good <laughs> bit, uh, recommendation to all people that haven't found us yet. Lovely. Hopefully that'll bring us some more listeners. And here's one from Asterion, the Witcher, who says, Another pleasant and interesting interview, always with Charles Bailey Phillips and Jim Daly of Blank Pod. Compliments to you guys and above all to the guest of this episode, Mr. David Baddiel. Yeah, that was, that was a great, great episode. One, yeah. I've got one here from Helen Root. 
If you've not listened to this podcast series yet, I thoroughly recommend it. Really honest, personal, thought-provoking podcast. I'm listening to Blank Pod in old order, but loved Dawn French, Rufus Hound and David Baddiel episodes especially so that's fantastic really, really kind. and i love these tweets and people because it actually gives us a little reminder of some of the ones we've done you look back and think oh yeah we did do that we did do that oh yeah they were great so, yeah uh, amazing we've come a long way well we're 50 plus now yeah long way to go as well yeah um, middle age <laughs> middle age spread has kicked in <laughs> it is actually yeah. uh anyway well listen uh, thank you to emily for joining us this week and thank you for all your tweets oh if you want to tweet us you can our twitter handle is at Blank Pod. It is indeed. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, which is the exact At same thing. Blank Pod. It is indeed. Uh, and that's it. Uh, Emily, thank you very much for joining us. Giles, just thanks for being you. Oh, well, likewise, Jim. Thanks, man. Uh, and thank you to our listeners for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Blank Pod. So have a great week and we'll see you then. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus this is a blast box media podcast